This is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up this Sunday morning. Dick Donahue with you here on KGMI. Well, the January data is getting hot. Markets have been volatile with reports convincing many that the Fed has done hiking rates. But this week, we got data that may change some minds. Why? Because the economic reports for January came in hot, with inflation, retail sales, and industrial production and housing starts all coming in at the fastest pace in months. The hot inflation report for January might be a surprise to some investors, but it really shouldn't be. The M2 measure of money supply surged more than 40% in the two years ending in February of 22, and part of that surge is still generating extra inflation. Analysts have been touting a 1.8% annualized rate of increase in consumer prices during the last three months of 22, but these numbers were revised, now showing that the CPI climbed to a 3.3% annual rate in the fourth quarter. And core inflation, which excludes volatile food and energy prices, were previously reported as up at a relatively modest 3.1% rate in the last three months of the year, now have been revised up to a 4.3% pace. In other words, the recent trend in inflation hasn't been as soft as some have been saying. And now, the half a percent increase in January. Some of this is energy. The core should also increase at a faster pace than many expected this last year. Retail sales were also strong in January for multiple reasons. First, January was unusually warm, which made it easier for consumers to get out and about. Second, auto sales were very high because of temporary spike in fleet sales to rental companies, which are counted in retail sales. And third, cost of living adjustments for Social Security happened in January and were very large this year because of high inflation in 21 and 22. And last, massive government payments during COVID looked like they messed up the normal Christmas seasonal pattern in retail spending, with relatively less spending in December, in turn making January look better by comparison. We also saw the housing starts come in better than consensus expectations in January. The unusually warm January weather is just easier to break ground on new housing projects when it's warm out in a very cold winter month. Builders like to focus more on completing houses than they are already close to finished. Put all these reports together, we have an economic stew that signals that a data-sensitive Federal Reserve isn't done hiking rates. In turn, the markets need to recalibrate expected rate hikes upward, and this could cause some indigestion. Some see the recent rally in stock as part of a bull market. We're still thinking it could be a bear market rally with the market continuing to fluctuate. So let's take a look at our global roundup for the week. We had terminal rate expectations rise. Global equities were a little changed on the week as investors raised their forecasts of how high policy rates will rise in the United States and the Eurozone. The yield of the U.S. 10-year Treasury rate rose 3.88% from 3.72% a week ago, while the price of a barrel of West Texas Intermediate crude fell $3 to $75.50. Volatility is measured by the CBOE Volatility Index, or VIX, declined to 21.15 from 21.5 last Friday. And then macro news, U.S. inflation progress slows. Consumer and producer prices in the U.S. moderated less than expected in January. The consumer price index rose 6.4% from a year ago, down slightly from December's 6.5% pace, and rose half a percent from the month before. Core CPI has exceeded expectations, going up 5.6% from a year ago. Additionally, producer prices increased more than expected by 5.4% in January, while gaining 7 tenths of 1% from December. 
And while price growth continued to slow, the pace of improvement decelerated. With core services, prices remained elevated. The path in the months ahead, with rate hikes in March and May fully priced in and the odds of a June hike rising, indeed, investors have priced in an 18% chance of a 50 basis point hike from the Fed in March, and after several Fed officials this last week made the case for more aggressive rate hikes. And the U.S. data is pointing to a no-landing scenario. After months of debate over whether the U.S. will face a hard or soft landing, the debate has recently turned to whether the economy will land at all. A string of stronger-than-expected data points signal that the U.S. economy remains surprisingly resilient, despite having absorbed 450 basis points of rate hikes in under a year. Among the largest upside surprises with January retail sales, which rose 3%, more than reversing a 1.1% decline in December. Investors followed on the basis of a strong January employment report, and signs that inflation may moderate more slowly going forward are beginning to contemplate a no-landing scenario in which the Fed continues hiking rates amid a rebound in economic activity. And while that scenario might appear benign in the short term, allowing the U.S. to avoid a recession, some fear it may simply postpone a downturn into 2024. Fed officials were hawkish in their public remarks this week, suggesting that several more rate hikes remain on the horizon, and Europe is providing a resilient too. As winter's end nears, the European natural gas inventories hold well above the historical averages. Optimism over European economic growth continues to rise. This week, the European Commission upgraded its Eurozone GDP forecast to 0.9% in 23, avoiding the recession it had earlier forecast. The Commission posits that inflation peaked in October at 10.6%, and it will be subsided to 5.6% this year and 2.5% next year. The EC also said that while the risks to an outlook are much more balanced, demand may prove more robust if declining wholesale gas prices feed through to consumer prices and consumption through resilient. And we've got musical chairs at the Federal Reserve. U.S. President Joe Biden this week announced the appointment of Vice Chair Lael Brennan as the Director of the National Economic Council. Recently appointed Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago President Austin Goldsby has been mentioned as a likely replacement for Brainerd. Goldsby previously served as a chair of the White House Council of Economic Advisors during under President Barack Obama. And a lot of quick hits this week. The yield on a one-year U.S. Treasury bill rose above 5% this week for the first time since 2007. The conference board's index of leading indicators declined three-tenths of 1% in January, the ninth straight monthly decline. And former Bank of Japan board member Kusei Ohido has dominated this week to succeed Haricho Kuroda as governor of the central bank. And a Nikkei survey of Bank of Japan watchers showed that all 20 participants expect the central bank's yield curve control policy to be curtailed before the end of the year. In January, new home prices in China increased for the first time in a year. And in the U.S., the National Association of Home Builders sentiment Index bounced back in February, rising to 42 from 35. World Bank President David Malpass announced that he'll still be stepping down as head of the lender by the end of June, about a year before his term is set to expire. And wages in the United Kingdom grew more than expected in the final quarter of 22, rising 6.7% year over year, complicating the Bank of England's task at reigning in inflation. United Kingdom inflation slowed in January to 10.1% year over year, the third straight monthly decline, and down from October's 11.1% peak. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be right back. You've noticed it. It's staying light out a little later when you get home. The trees are starting to bud. Yep, spring is on its way. And before you know it, you'll be wanting to relax and entertain at the biggest room at your place, your backyard. And a trip to Wilson's Furniture is all you need to find the perfect piece or grouping. Patio furniture that you'll enjoy this summer and for years of great summers to come. 
teak, aluminum, resin, motion furniture, sectionals, fire pits, umbrellas. Wilson's has all of that and more. You'll find the largest display of patio and outdoor furniture north of Seattle. And everything you see on display in the showroom is available to go home with you today. And with the savings you'll find at Wilson's during their President's Day sale going on now, the relaxing has gotten a whole lot easier. Wilson's Furniture and Mattress opens seven days a week on Pacific Highway in Ferndale and online 24-7 at wilsonhomefurnishings.com. This is Steve Berger, Lead Counselor and Director of Contact Counseling Recovery Services. Despite being a fourth-generation Whatcom County resident from a solid, established family, when I was struggling with alcohol and drug addiction, my family didn't know where to turn to help. By the grace of God and a recovery program, I was able to get sober and have devoted the last 34 years of my life helping others find recovery from addiction. If you or a family member is struggling with substance abuse, please contact us at 360-671-3277 or contactcounseling.com. Every day, KGMI brings you the latest news and information, and we also give you a chance to express your opinion on a major news story of the day. Go to KGMI.com anytime and take part in our daily news poll to see what others are thinking and add your voice. We'll have an update during the KGMI afternoon news, and we'll give you a final tally and a new question each day during the KGMI morning news. Be part of the conversation with the KGMI daily news poll, another informative and free feature from KGMI. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you on KGMI this Sunday morning. We're Asset Advisors. We're located out in Ferndale on the Pacific Highway next to Wilson's Furniture in the Pacific Commerce Center. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. Okay, continuing on with our global roundup, we saw that the Eurozone GDP grew at 1.9% in 2022 but just one-tenth of one percent quarter over quarter. And Bloomberg reported this week that Chinese consumers are using cut-rate loans offered by banks under pressure from Beijing to reinflate consumer demand, to pay down mortgages and purchase stocks rather than consumption as intended. And Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell said this week that the U.S. debt ceiling will be dealt with in the end and the government will not default. And due in large part to China's reopening, the International Energy Administration raised its 2023 global oil demand outlook by 2 million barrels a day to 101.9 million barrels a day. European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde said that the central bank intends to raise rates by half a point or 50 basis points in March and will evaluate the future of the path thereafter. Price pressures remain strong, she said. Executive board member Isabel Schnabel agreed, saying that investors risk underestimating the perseverance of inflation and the markets are too optimistic in their pricing of a 3.5% terminal rate policy. The FTSE 100 index of large-cap United Kingdom equities closed above 8,000 for the first time this week. And the U.S. Congressional Budget Office says that if Congress does not extend the nation's debt limit, the U.S. could default sometime between July and September. The CBO forecasts a fiscal year 23 budget deficit of $1.4 trillion and expects the government to amass an additional $19 trillion in debt in the coming 10 years if there's no shift in spending patterns. That's an additional $1.9 trillion a year in deficit spending, pushing the national debt over $50 trillion. And in earnings news, with about 82% of the constituents of the S&P 500 index having reported for the fourth quarter blended earnings per share, which combined reported data with estimates from those that have yet to report, shows that earnings declined 4.8%, while sales rose about 5.2% compared with the same quarter a year ago, according to data from FactSet Research. Okay, let's get into some of the in-depth reporting here. On We have a bunch of economic reports this week. We'll start out with the Consumer Price Index. 
And consumer prices re-accelerated in January, rising a half a percent and matching the consensus expectations. Yes, some of the increase came from energy prices, which rose 2% in the month. However, stripping this category out and its volatile counterpart, food prices, core prices still rose at an elevated four-tenths of 1% clip. In the last 12 months, overall prices are up 6.4%, while core prices are up 5.6%, both well above the Federal Reserve's 2% inflation target. Looking at the detail of the report, housing rents were the main driver, rising 7 tenths of 1% and accounting for nearly half of the overall increase. Some analysts are pointing to a real-time rental indexes based on what new tenants are paying, which softened at the end of 22 as foreshadowing a drop in CPI rents. But this process will take some time before they bleed through into the CPI, which covers all tenants and homeowners, not just new tenants. We expect housing rent inflation to remain high in 23 because rents are still catching up with home prices, which skyrocketed during COVID. Other components of the core index were in mix in increases and declines. Among the other categories that declined, core care services were down 7 tenths of 1%. Notably, Jerome Powell mentioned in the last Fed press conference that the Fed is watching a subset category of inflation that some have dubbed the super core, which excludes food, energy, and other goods, and shelter, and which has remained stubbornly high. Although it rose a moderate 2 tenths of 1% in January, it's still up 4.9% annualized pace in the last six months. Meanwhile, annual revisions to the CPI released Friday showed that prices climbed at a 3.3% annual rate in the last three months of 22, not the 1.8% reported four weeks ago. And core inflation, which excludes volatile food and energy prices, were previously reported as up a relatively modest 3.1% in the last three months of last year. Now, have been revised up at a 4.3% pace. So you put it all together, Powell and the Fed have plenty of reasons to keep raising rates and keep monetary policy tight in the months to come. January's retail sales report came out this week, and retail sales surged 3% in January, beating consensus expectations and the fastest gain for any month in almost two years. However, the January surge needs to be taken with a grain of salt. We still believe the tightening of monetary policy since last year will eventually deliver a recession. There are several reasons to expect retail strength in January, none of which change our fundamental view of the economy. First, January was unusually warm, which made it easier for consumers to get out and about. Second, auto sales were very high because of a temporary spike in fleet sales to rental companies which are counted in retail sales, and look for a big drop in auto sales in February. Third, cost of living adjustments for Social Security happened in January and very large this year because of the high inflation in 21-22. And last, massive government payments during COVID messed up the normal Christmas seasonal pattern in retail spending with relatively less spending in December, in turn making January look better by comparison. For example, just in the single month of January, department store sales supposedly rose 17.5%. This seems implausible. In addition, some of the gain in January was due to inflation. Adjusted for the Consumer Price Index, retail sales were unchanged versus a year ago. And looking at retail report on face value, the gain in nominal sales in January was broad, with all 13 major categories up in January, led by autos as well as restaurants and bars, with large gains also for general merchandise stores. Core sales, which exceeds the most volatile categories of autos, building materials, and gas station sales, rose 2.7% in January, under up 8% from a year ago. And due to a very loose monetary policy and the massive increase in government transfer payments in response to COVID, retail sales are still running higher than they would have if COVID never happened. However, loose monetary policy, which helped finance the big increases in government spending, is translating into higher inflation, which is why real inflation-adjusted retail sales are flat versus a year ago. Powell and company have their hands full. And look at the uh, January Housing Starts report. 
The housing starts continued to slow in January, falling for the fifth consecutive month as builders continued to grapple with lower demand due to the surge in mortgage rates since late 21. Notably, the drop in starts in January occurred in spite of unusually mild winter weather that is usually a temporary spur in breaking ground on new homes. Looking at the details, both single-family and multi-unit construction contributed to January's decline. With 30-year mortgage rates rising again recently, it doesn't look like the housing market is going to get the relief it wants on the affordability side of the picture. However, rates are still down from the recent peak, and it looks like the sticker shock in the rapid rise up in financing costs last year is beginning to wear off, improving the future sales outlook from developers. In fact, the reading on home builder sentiment, as measured by the National Association of Home Builders Housing Index, rose to 42 in February versus 35 in January. This is the second consecutive gain following the longest streak of decline since records began in 1985. That said, an index reading below 50 still signals that builders view conditions as poor versus good. However, these data reinforce our view that the housing market is beginning to find its footing in the new higher rate environment. Though groundbreaking of new residential projects is down 21.4% from a year ago, keep in mind that construction overall is hardly ground to a halt. Lots of projects are already in the pipeline, with the number of homes under construction of workers hovering or nearer the highest level on record back to 1970. These figures are also demonstrate a slower construction process due to lack of workers and other supply difficulties. Given that builders already have their hands full, it wasn't surprising to see permits for new projects remain essentially unchanged in January. Housing isn't going to be a source of economic growth in the year ahead, but do not expect a housing bust nearly as harsh as the 2000s. In labor market news, initial unemployment claims fell 1,000 this last week to 194,000, while continuing claims rose to 16,000 to 1.696 million. Finally, the Philadelphia Fed index, which measures manufacturing sentiment in that region, fell minus 24.3 in February from minus 8.9 in January. We believe a recession is on the horizon in 23, with the good sectors leading the way. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be back shortly. Whatcom County and Northwest Washington offer endless beauty, and our phones make it possible for us to capture it instantly. And now KGMI is giving you another way to share your incredible pictures with Whatcom Wanderings. Just go to KGMI.com, look for Whatcom Wanderings, post your photos, and tell us where you took them. So share your pictures of our area's incredible beauty and complexity with Watcom Wanderings at KGMI.com. If you're struggling with weight and frustrated with dieting each and every year, Mark Patrick seminars can help. After this hypnosis, I want to eat good food. Since August, I can honestly say I have not had one potato chip. It was life-changing for me. And I don't think about desserts like I used to. Bridget, how much have you lost now? I lost a total of 83 pounds. Holy cow. It's easy, it's fun, very relaxing, and very successful. And I would just say go for it. Oh my, what are you waiting for? Join Mark Patrick Seminars and lose the weight or stop smoking guaranteed for only $49.99. Hypnosis designed to destroy unwanted cravings, late-day eating binges, boredom eating, stress eating. Seminar Sunday, February 19th at the La Quinta Inn and Suites by Wyndham Bellingham. Weight loss seminar, 11 a.m. Stop smoking seminar, 2 p.m. Or Monday, February 20th at Days Inn by Wyndham Mount Vernon. Weight loss seminar, 5.30 p.m. Stop smoking seminar, 8 p.m. Register 30 minutes before. Sign up at markpatrickseminars.com. That's markpatrickseminars.com. You go to great lengths to keep your carpet clean. Kids, get out of the living room. You spend your days scolding loved ones. Honey, take your shoes off. Trying to create an invisible shield to keep all the dirt and stains out. Welcome to our home. And just please stay on the plastic, okay? From summer's barbecue stains to your kids' dirty cleats, call Swans today or visit them online at swanscarpetcleaning.com.
Imagine living in Linden, perched above the Nooksack River Valley, with Mount Baker and the Cascade Mountains in the distance. Enjoy the peaceful surroundings of the mountains and nearby golf course. Make new friends and get involved in new activities. Enjoy fabulous home-cooked meals and spacious apartments designed with your needs in mind. Enjoy your independence. Visit Vineyard Park of Linden Manor on Aaron Drive in Linden or online at carepartnersliving.com. Schedule your personal tour today and see why residents love Vineyard Park of Linden Manor. Fire sprinklers save lives, and nobody protects the Northwest like Columbia Fire. Contractors, developers, building owners, if your project needs fire sprinkler installation, call Columbia Fire. Marty Boonstra here, and we've perfected a system that will keep your project on time and on budget. You name it, we protect it. Schools, office buildings, high-rises, and residential, too. For fire sprinkler installation, go to ColumbiaFire.net. ColumbiaFire.net. This is Heidi Person, General Manager of the Cascade Radio Group, with a look at some good news in our community that we like to call the Upside. The Rotary Club of Bellingham's annual bell ringing event for the Salvation Army was a great success. This past December, the Rotary Club of Bellingham and guests, even Rotarians from other clubs and former Rotarians, spent time in front of area Hagen stores ringing bells, caroling, and playing instruments and getting shoppers to fill the kettles. A surprise anonymous matching donor also joined in the fun, essentially doubling the Rotary Club's efforts. The Rotary Club of Bellingham Foundation has been contributing to the Bellingham community since 1917, and they're always looking for new members. If you'd like to learn more, go to bellinghamrotary.org. The Upside is brought to you from a grant provided by Bayside Coin and Jewelry. They are the largest buyer and seller of gold and silver in the Northwest. Bayside Coin and Jewelry in the Iowa Business Park. If you have good news to report, email it to us at theupside at cascaderadiogroup.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Don't worry about your furnace on the coldest days of the year. Talk with West Mechanical, your independent train dealer, about replacing your old inefficient furnace with a train comfort system. Today, find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here in KGMI. We're going to continue with this week's economic reports. We're going to do the January producer price index report. And producer prices snapped back from a December decline to rise 7 tenths of 1% in January as costs rose virtually across the board. As with the CPI report, the inflation check reinforces the Fed's conviction that the battle against inflation is far from over. And while it certainly does look like peak inflation is behind us, prices continue to rise at a stubbornly quick pace that is causing at least one Fed member to question if discussions should be less on when the Fed can pause hikes and more if they return to a 50 basis point that would be a half percent move and is appropriate. Taking a look at the details of the report shows that goods prices, specifically energy, led the way in January, rising 1.2%. Energy prices increased 5% in January as natural gas, diesel, and jet fuel costs all rose, while food prices declined 1% on the back of softening prices for vegetables. Removing these typically volatile food and energy categories shows that core producer prices rose a half a percent in January and remain up 5.4% in the last year, far exceeding the Fed's 2% inflation target. And while goods prices were the key factor lifting the inflation in January, this is a departure from the recent trend of services taking charge. We believe the service side of the economy is the key area to watch in 23, and the Fed seems to agree. And Chair Powell noting at the most recent Fed press conference that while supply chain easing is moderating goods inflation, it is services that have the Fed cautious about claiming any short of victory. We expect the path towards the Fed's 2% target will prove stickier than most anticipate as the economy continues to absorb the massive surge of the M2 measure of money supply that the Fed injected in 2021. 
higher rates and the economic slowdown that will accompany it are the price that we are going to pay for that sugar high of stimulus that we enjoyed in 20 and 21. And the January Industrial Production and Capacity Utilization Report also came out and industrial production continued to disappoint in January, remaining unchanged for the month and coming in below consensus expectations. Moreover, data from previous months were revised lower as well. Industrial production is now down 6% at an annualized rate in the last three months, nearly matching December's three-month reading, which was the worst since the early days of COVID, and another signal that a recession is likely on its way in 23. And although the overall report was not good, it's important to point out that the details of the report were better than the headline number. All of the weaknesses in January came from utility sector, which was largely dependent on weather, where activity posed a decline of 9.9%, which is the largest monthly decline in series history going back to 1939, and the result of unseasonably warm weather in January following unseasonably cold weather in December. Meanwhile, all other major categories posted gains in January, also probably related to the better weather, which meant less lost time for production. The manufacturing sector was the biggest positive contributor in January, posting a gain of 1%. Looking at the details, both auto and non-auto manufacturing rose in January, posting gains of a half a percent and 1% respectively. However, given the recent trend of American consumers shifting their preferences back towards services and away from goods, we don't expect this strength to last. Another source of strength was mining which posted a gain of 2% in January. A faster pace of oil and gas and other mineral extraction more than offset a decline in the drilling for new wells. It looks like oil prices, which are currently still hovering around $80 a barrel, continue to incentivize new production. We continue to expect the U.S. energy sector to be a lifeline for industrial production in 23. In other recent manufacturing news, the Empire State Index, which is a major of New York factory sentiment, rose to a still weak reading of minus 5.8 in February from minus 32.9 in January. Okay, well, let's jump to another little topic I saw this week, and it tells us that, uh, not surprising, but New Yorkers pay the highest singles tax in the United States. It is definitely expensive to be single in New York City. And while the unattached may save on the cost of expensive Valentine's date, they are paying a much higher singles tax to live by themselves, according to real estate firm Zillow. New York renters living alone in a one-bedroom apartment are forking over $19,500 more a year than couples who live together. And that's according to Zillow. In Manhattan, the annual singles tax rises to a whopping $24,000. Zillow's singles tax is based on how much a renter living alone will have to pay each year for a median one-bedroom apartment compared to those splitting rent on the same unit with a partner. Between them, partners who live together in one of the most expensive cities in the world will save an average of $39,000 a year. Singles with a one-bedroom all to themselves in California's pricey barrier also pay a significant premium. Those in San Francisco face a singles tax of $14,114, the second highest of any city, followed by San Jose at $12,401. Even though rent prices are starting to cool, they're still a significant higher than they were a year ago. Renters considering going into solo this year must decide how value living alone is to them and if the cost is worth it. Nationally, signals pay about nearly $7,000 extra per year for a median one-bedroom apartment. To give you some examples of what the cost of living is for living alone in New York, which is the highest, New Yorkers are paying a singles tax. Number one, their one-bedroom rent price is $3,250. Singles tax is $19,500. Couples get about a $39,000 discount. San Francisco rents run $2,352 for a one-bedroom. Their singles tax is about $14,114. And again, the couple's discount would be double that at $28,227. San Jose, California, $2,067 is the average rent for a single bedroom. 
$12,400 single tax, and again, double that for couples. That would be the couple's discount. In uh, San Diego, $1,962, and the tax is $11,774. Boston, $1,924, singles tax, $11,546. Washington, D.C., $1,917 average rent. Uh, $11,501 single tax. Seattle comes in here with an $1,800 average rent for a single one-bedroom. The singles tax in Seattle is $10,799. Los Angeles follows them at $1,652 for rental or $9,913 in single tax. Miami, $1,541. Singles tax is $9,248. Honolulu, Hawaii, $1,540 for a single bedroom. Singles tax is $9,241. And in the United States as a whole, the average rental price for a one bedroom is $1,163. And the singles tax is $6,976. And of course, the couple's discount would be double that at $13,953. So some interesting numbers there to throw out there and take a look at. Also found a report this week that says new cars are only for the rich now as automakers are raking in profits. The shiny new car in the driveway has been an emblem of middle-class prosperity for generations, but the typical American family is now a distant dream. The average monthly payment for a new car has soared to a record $777, double from late 2019, according to Kelly Blue Book and Cox Automotive. It's almost a sixth of the median after-tax income in U.S. households. Even used models have climbed to $544 a month on average. The sticker shock extends well beyond the U.S., where inflation is a thorny political issue for President Biden as the 24 election looms. In Europe, prices are, are flirting with records. Used car prices soared in Japan last year, and in China, a rapid push for electric vehicles means consumers are going to have to pay more for it in some cities. At the root of the problem is automakers' new mantra, keep inventory low, price tags fat. Three years and after the pandemic triggered a global shortage of semiconductor ships and crippled car manufacturing, Ford Motor Company, General Motors, and their overseas rivals are notching big profits. Even as the chip crunch shows it may be easing, they're pledging to keep production in check. And because electric cars cost about 25% more than the average car, the shift to plug-ins is about to make affordability crisis even worse. Add soaring interest rates to the mix in new cars and home ownership and college education are fast becoming the domain of the rich. The idea of a new car in every American's driveway is not the world that we live in. Let's look at sky-high payments for a decade. Average new car payments in the U.S., bumped at roughly $400 a month. We crossed that mark in November of 2019. It's basically been soaring ever since. The average price for a new vehicle in the U.S. has jumped to almost $50,000, up 30% since 2019, according to J.P. Morgan. Though prices have retreated somewhat in recent weeks as production recovers, the pullback isn't enough for most consumers to comfortably buy a new car. And the average price of a used car, meanwhile, now stands above $27,000, according to the Cox data report. Manufacturers are reaping the benefits of selling fewer but more expensive cars. Last year, automakers sold 13 million vehicles in the U.S., down 8% from 21, the lowest in decades. But Ford's gross profit rose 4.4% in 22 from a year earlier, while GM adjusted earnings grew by $200 million to reach $14.5 billion. Margins to some manufacturers are expected to narrow this year amid global economic weakness. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be back in a second. Spring is a time to keep it fresh. And what a better way to freshen up your company's image than with a crisp Brooks Brother logoed shirt or uniform from Bergen. Whatcom County's local logo apparel experts. Bergen pairs their commitment to personal service with professional results, specializing in embroidery, heat application, screen printing, and all kinds of logoed promotional products. And they're adding tons of new styles for spring. From Travis Matthews to Russell Outdoors, OGO, District, and yes, even 
and Brooks Brothers. Bergen's new owners understand the importance of your image. They go the extra mile to provide crisp logo apparel so you can put your best foot forward this spring. And as nature blooms, Bergen is taking action to protect it with new sustainable styles that lower the carbon footprint of production. Bergen guarantees your order will be completed on time to your specifications and with a smile. Give them a call to get a quote within 24 hours or stop by the showroom Monday through Thursday on Iron Gate in Bellingham and online at bergenembroidery.com. Attention business owners and managers. Looking to hire? Having trouble reaching the right candidates? Do you have more job openings than applications? Secure your table now for Cascade Radio Group's Job Fair, Thursday, March 16th in Bellingham at Four Points by Sheraton from 2 until 6 p.m. The March 16th Job Fair is a production of Cascade Radio Group and HireMeWa.com. For details and to register, talk to your CRG radio rep or send an email to jobfair at CascadeRadioGroup.com. That's jobfair at CascadeRadioGroup.com. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI Traffic Alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. Because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here in KGMI. Got questions for us? Give us a call, 360-733-1200. You know, yesterday's show... I talked about uh, how much is enough for keys in order to save or success in retirement. I'm going to continue to add a little bit of information that might help in that regard. I'm talking about, so now I'm going to talk about how to figure out inflation or how to figure inflation into your financial plan. You know, basically, how concerned are you about inflation? More than one in four Americans say that it's their number one worry about the economy. You see it in the grocery store at the gas pump. Headlines thump the latest numbers. Americans worried aren't baseless. Inflation is often called a silent killer because it quietly raises prices all around us. But should we really worry about it? Well, first of all, what is inflation? Now, most people know this, but inflation measures how fast the prices of goods and services are increasing. As inflation rises, prices do too. Because it takes more dollars to buy the same things, deflation is the opposite. It brings lower prices and more buying power. So what do you think inflation will do over the next year? What about the next 10 years? When you see the word inflation, do you feel uneasy or do you scroll to the next thing? Well, inflation exists. Most of us don't expect much time thinking about it beyond noticing higher prices. Here's a good example to put in context how much prices could increase over the next decade and the impact it could have on our financial goals. So basically, how far can $28,000 go today? Well, you can buy a high-end motorcycle or a decent used car, two terrific seats at the Super Bowl, a luxury one-night stay in a penthouse suite in the Beverly Wilshire, or, but you cannot buy, the average car. That's going to run close to $41,000. And one year's tuition at a private university, you can't buy that either. And in 1971, 28000 bought you an average home, free and clear. Fast forward 50 years to today, and you'll need 15 times that amount, about $434,200 to buy an average house in the U.S. Skip ahead to 2030, and the price tag gets even bigger. Looking at these price hikes over the years paints a clear picture of what inflation can do to prices over time, but it doesn't tell the whole story. Consumer prices continue to increase more than expected. In 2022, headline consumer prices rose as much as 9.1% yearly. That's the highest level in year-over-year consumer inflation in 41 years. Translated into another way, for a household with $100,000 of income, it feels like they just got a $9,000 pay cut, leaving $750 a month less in income. For some, that is a mortgage payment. So let's talk about steps that you can take to protect yourself from inflation. One, build up an emergency fund. 
Make sure you have three to six months worth of living expenses saved in case of economic conditions worsen or unexpected and or higher bills come your way. Two, pay down your debt. Interest rates tend to rise during times of high inflation, so the impo it's important to try and reduce your outstanding debt that you may have to before the situation gets worse. Focus first on debts that carry a variable interest rate, such as credit card debt and home equity loans. Number three, diversify your investments. Diversifying your investments is key to protecting yourself against inflation. Talk with your financial advisor about the possibility of adding dividend-paying stocks, consumer staple stocks, inflation index bonds, or treasury inflation protection securities or tips. Revisit your income strategy. During times of inflation, it's important to focus on increasing your income as much as possible. Here are a few strategies that can help you do that. One, get another job to squirrel away extra money. Two, negotiate a raise at work. Talk to your supervisor about the possibility of getting a raise, either by getting a promotion or by receiving an increase in salaries. And three, if you have a second home, consider renting it out when you're not there. There is a silver lining, however, to inflation. Inflation affects more than just the upfront prices. It shakes up the cost of doing business and borrowing money. And it can affect savings, bonds, and plans for the future. We often don't notice these changes year to year. That's because inflation normally comes in small doses. Still, like many things in life and finance, inflation isn't all bad. When steady and predictable, a moderate amount can be good as it can signal a healthy, growing economy. Inflation causes problems when it increases suddenly and rapidly or when folks haven't planned for the future price increases. At just the right levels, though, inflation can be good. It can encourage spending, borrowing, and lending to drive real economic growth. So what is the right level? Well, the Federal Reserve hasn't set a formal inflation target, but lawmakers in many economies tend to peg it at just under 2%. Inflation is also sensitive to our expectations and our financial choices. It's a short spell of high inflation changes, our long-term expectations about it. You can drive inflation up even more. As a financial professional, I've seen how inflation can rattle expectations, choices, and portfolios. I've had the privilege of helping many people figure out better strategies for dealing with inflation and fluctuations so that they can keep their financial plans on track to achieve their goals. Make sure that you're working with a financial advisor now about steps to protect your money and assets from inflation. Yeah, I've been through a few of these, the late 70s, early 80s. We've been there before, and hey, we're not going to get away from it. It's going to happen again. We can help you, though. Always give us a call. And retiring couples need to have, in this talking about inflation, may need up to 383000 just for health care costs, according to a new study. Married couples entering retirement could need as much as $383,000 in savings to cover their health care costs for the rest of their lives, according to a new report by the Employee Benefit Research Institute, or EBRI. An average 65-year-old man should have saved about $96,000 to cover premiums and prescriptions in order to have just 50% chance of meeting his health care spending needs in retirement, the report said. A 65-year-old woman should have saved $116,000 and a couple should have had $212,000 earmarked specifically for these costs. To have a 90% chance... The cost rises to 966000 for the 65-year-old man, 197000 for the 65-year-old woman, and 318000 for the couple. In an extreme case, an average couple with very high prescription expenses is going to need 383000 for a 90% chance of meeting that need, according to the report. And the findings came out of a new simulation model created by Washington, D.C.-based research and advocacy group that incorporated recent changes in Medicare Part D and then looked at the impact of Medicare Advantage and Medigap plans that have on retirees' expenses. And Medicare is not designed to cover health care expenses in full. Deductibles for inpatient and outpatient services are part of the program when it was established in 1965. In the future, Despite the introduction of a cap on Part D out-of-pocket spending, individuals may have to pay greater shares 
of their overall health costs in retirement because of the financial condition of the Medicare program and the outbacks of the employment-based retiree health programs. In the report, ABRI, considering the following as the health expenses for which a retiree's savings could be needed, premiums for Medicare Part B and D, the Part B deductible, premiums for Medigap Part Plan G, and out-of-pocket costs for prescription drugs not included were long-term care expenses and things like dental, vision, and hearing services. The study also assumed <coughs> that retirees were enrolled either in a Medicap Plan G or a Medicare Advantage plan, which about half of all retirees choose. That's expected to rise to 60% within the decade. With Medicare Advantage plans, 69% of enrollees chose a zero premium option. When factoring in the age of retirement longevity, the availability of health increased insurance to supplement Medicare health health status, out-of-pocket expenses, and the rate of increases for those expenses, EBRI determined that simply coming up with an average would be too small for about half of the population. Therefore, the researchers used the Monte Carlo simulation model to run 100,000 options for each kind of coverage. The model also assumed a 7.3% annual rate of return on a lump sum needed at the beginning of the retirement. In other words, they put that money away and they said it's going to average about a 7.3% annual rate of return. In general, savings targets tend to be lower for Medicare Advantage enrollees relative to Medigap enrollees, but there are trade-offs for the retirees to consider. The report said, for example, enrollees generally trade lower premiums for the higher out-of-pocket spending, and some Medicare Advantage plans have narrower networks. So there are both pros and cons of which way you go. Generally, I tend to go towards the Medigap plan G type of plan. I think that a person knows what their monthly out-of-pocket is going to be when they pay that premium. They got a two, $300 a year deductible, but if you go to the hospital, just like I did last May when I had my hip replaced, I wound up having to be in the hospital because of some bleeding issues for almost a week. The bill on that was over $228,000, but I didn't see one penny of it. So, uh, you know, I tend to look at going that way with the insurance where I know that you've got yourself covered. But then again, that's a personal choice and something you need to advise and work with with the people that you're working with. This has been Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up on KGMI. Don't forget about our Wealth Wake Up Live show next Saturday morning at 11. Hope you have a great week. And again, if you got questions for us, give us a call, 360-733-1200. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor.